tonight we're claiming to be able to tell you how to find your true self. But we're not the only ones. They don't say it out loud, but advertisers are usually trying to tell you this thing will make you more of who you are. Or this thing will give you a new identity, a cooler one. Ads didn't solely create, but they do capitalize on this longing in us. We feel like we're one thing, but there's this better thing out there. I could be more. I could be more realized, more actualized, more in tune. I could be more me. It's nebulous, but powerful. And perhaps because of that, you have groups trying to use it as a tool. Corporations and advertising agencies, yeah, but it's also commonly used as part of a political strategy. But even on an individual level, a lot of us can just wonder, am I missing something? Am I on the right track? What am I supposed to be? It seems like a lot of problems could be solved if we could just clear this thing up. I'm not saying we're going to be able to do all that tonight, but we're going to look for a start. Stay tuned. Alright, welcome back to Swedenborg in Life. It's been a couple weeks. Thanks for hanging in there. It was fun last week doing that presentation uh, with Dr. Raymond Moody. Cool to see him. Check it out if you haven't already. Today, we're going to try to show you how to find your true self. Do you want to know that? Sounds good. My name is Kurt. My true self's name is Curtis Childs, and you can be part of the conversation if you want to. Get your questions and comments in, and we'll answer them as we go here live. If you're not watching live, still put your questions, comments in there, and we'll try to get to them throughout the week. Okay, so we're going to begin this journey explaining our imagery. We're going to start talking about the seed. Amazing how fast some plants grow, isn't it? <laughs> that's, a, that's my first good joke of the night. We'll keep track of those. Uh, discovering the nature of something. If we're looking for the true nature of us, discovering the true nature of anything is tougher if we don't know the context of the process that it's a part of. For example, as we had in this little video, think about a seed. If you had a seed, what's the true nature of that seed? You know, what's its true potential? You know, if that seed was one of us, it might be thinking, oh, I'd, I just don't fit in here. This is just not the culture here on this piece of wood. If I was in Italy, then I would like, you know, that's just a place that would bring me alive. Or actually, maybe if I started a cool collection, like I had a bunch of records, like vinyl, original records, or maybe I don't look cool enough. I need some racing stripes. Or if I got a, like a Chinese dragon tattoo, that would really express me that would just really make me me. But in the context of a seed, that's off the mark. As a seed, you're not looking for anything to mess with your external appearance or location. You're just looking for elements, basic elements, soil, water, light, and heat. And then we all know that once you get those in order, this true self of the seed emerges. It actually this the stuff the seed was destined for is so beyond anything the seed was shaped like before it's completely in sequence from the seed you know all that stuff all the the uh structures res responsible for that growth were there but they weren't necessarily apparent and it's not what you might think you know if the seed thinks i need to make me if i was a little bit rounder 
you know, or, or different shape, that would be cooler. But actually, there's this whole plant that's going to emerge. This, this, this thing that's doing stuff that the seed could never dream of, and the seed is just a jumping-off point for that, okay? So it is with us, and we're going to take a look at how our true self emerges as the plants do. So let's get there, section two. You could say that the seed has an inner and an outer self. You know, the husk of the seed is the outer self, but then you have this inner self, which is this plant waiting to grow out. And we actually have an inner and outer self too, according to none other than Emanuel Swedenborg, which this show was named after. So let's see what he says about what he learned about the inner and outer self. And this is a piece we've got to get if we're going to find out what our true self is. We've got to know all of our different parts, right? So this is from True Christianity 401. He says, we have been created to be in the spiritual world and the physical world at the same time. The spiritual world is where angels are. The physical world is where people are. Because we have been created that way, we have been given an inner and an outer level. An inner level so we can be in the spiritual world and an outer level so we can be in the physical world. The inner level is called our inner self and the outer level is called our outer self. So that might seem relatively simple for anybody who has sort of a, a dualism of worlds in their uh, mindset or worldview that there's a soul and a body, right? Inner and outer. But Swedenborg says it's not exactly like that. Our outer self is more than just a body. He describes it in Secrets of Heaven 1589. By the way, download these books, click on these things. You can, ha- you can read these for free if you ever want more context. That's why we give you the numbers. Go research on your own if something strikes you. You'll probably come up with something better than we did here. Our outer self has three components. So this is talking about the outer self. Rationality, the facts we know, and our physical senses. He almost like bypasses the body there, although physical senses are obviously arise from the body. Rationality is what connects our our inner and outer selves, and the nature of that connection depends on the nature of our rationality. Our rational capacity, though, is worthless by itself if our feelings or desires do not flow into it, activate it, and bring it to life. It follows then that the quality of our rational capacity mirrors the quality of our feelings. It's a common theme in Swedenborg that, that intellect alone is, it can't accomplish anything. You need emotion and intellect together. Nothing in our outer self ever shows any life except emotion. Positive emotions come down from the heavenly plane, or in other words, from heavenly love, which bestows life on everything it touches. A loving goodness constantly flows in from the Lord, and it flows through the inner self into the outer. People under the sway of negative emotions or corrupt desires pervert that goodness, but the life that comes with it still remains. So our characters are getting a little more defined here. So you have this positive stuff, the good stuff, the good thoughts, the good feelings. They flow in through the inner self to the outer self. They can be flipped around. Everybody's receiving the same inflow of love from God. If we really don't want it, we can flip it around and turn it into nastiness. But that doesn't mean you you don't get access to it anymore. Everyone always has this flow. So that's the outer self is sort of the outer layer of the mind as well, and and the physical senses, so how we interact with this world, but sort of the more superficial aspects of the personality. But the inner self is more than just um, 
like a nicer version of our mind. It's it's a more expansive, bigger thing. And Swedenborg describes it a bit here. This is read from his book, True Christianity, with... Uh, oh, right, I forgot. We have this... Uh, this is just him further defining the outer self. The outer self is only a kind of tool or organ, in itself devoid of life, that receives life from the inner self. When it does, it appears as if it contains inherent life. And my job is so easy, because if I mess it up, someone will just, nope, you gotta do this right here. It's like I'm being carried along, which is great, uh, as it should be. Uh, and that that's basically, it takes on a little more meaning, because we know the outer self is more than just the body. The idea that the body is a tool of the spirit or of the mind is, is pretty common, but if our outer self is also sort of our outer rationality and our, our outer emotions, to, that all of those should be the tool of this inner higher self. It takes on a little more significance there. Okay, we talked about the inner self. Let's meet it now a little more. This is Swedenborg's True Christianity 154 being read with some imagery to kind of illustrate what he's getting at. So here's a little intro to our inner self. Our inner self acts on and in our outer self, but not through it. Our inner self contains thousands of things. Our outer self takes from our inner self only what is suited for some useful purpose. In our inner self, the part of our mind that enables us to have volition and perception, there are arrays of concepts in enormous quantities. If these concepts flowed out of our mouths, they would be like a blast of air from an industrial bellows. Our inner self, with its universe of contents, is comparable to an ocean, a large flower garden or a park. The outer self takes from it just as much as it needs to get something done. So, and actually, when we came across that passage, I was like, whoa, man, I hadn't really heard it described like that. There's an inner self that's part of us, but listen to the, the language he uses to describe it. He says it has a universe of contents, or it's like an ocean. He says flower garden too, but I think ocean is a little more awe-inspiring. Uh, although gardens are pretty hip if you get right down to it. Okay, so there's this, there's this, our outer self, which is sort of our outer consciousness, there's this huge inner self. I don't know if it would be similar to the subconscious that's described, but there's all these concepts in there, and actually they only little, you know, tips of the iceberg show up in our outer self, and only as needed. We have this spiritual ocean, that the inner self is likened to that. And it's not just Swedenborg that describes this in, it, in this way, that we have this sort of inner, more that we're a little more than we realize. And this is important, because if we're trying to find out what is our, what's our true self, we got to know what's the whole self, what do we, what do we encompass, that we got to have all the pieces in line if we're going to figure out what kind of tool set we got, right? So here's uh, Natalie Sudman, who had a near-death experience. She wrote a book um, called An Application of Impossible Things, A Near-Death Experience in Iraq. And she wrote, we are individual and unique beings on earth who are even more uniquely and individually expansive than most of us are now aware. We are more than our physical bodies and the limitless minds and consciousness focus of this physical environment. So there's more to us going on. And this is important, I think, because if we're trying to think about what's our what's our potential true self, like what what is the ultimate manifestation of us, if I was thinking about that and didn't have this inner outer self in mind, I might think, okay, my perfect self would be like this. Uh, there's me. 
I look great. <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm like successful. I have like a cool shirt on. I live somewhere that's like all oh, mountains to the ocean. And it's like, but it's also sort of like urban hip. I'm like, I say what I mean and I know what I want and I get it. Like that's, that's it. But that's, that's all outer self kind of stuff. That's me missing out on what's that ocean? I mean, what, what can we be as people? I'm sure that it's not encapsulated in this. So let's not set our sights too low, even though that Instagram filter does make you like, ooh, this is a perfect life that person must be living. Is there more? So we have to have these kind of compass points if we're going to try to figure out where do we want to go. And our inner self is, while we don't necessarily understand it or even know that it exists, there's other people who do know. And we're going to meet them here. Secrets of Heaven 1399. All spirits, which that includes us, we're people, but Swedenborg says, you know, that's a spirit and a body. So, all spirits have contact with the inner heaven and the inmost, although they are unaware of it. Otherwise, they could not live. Their inner nature is recognized by angels who are awake to deeper dimensions, and the Lord also governs them through angels. So their inner characteristics become common knowledge in heaven, as their outer ones do in the world of spirits. These inner communications adapt each of them for some useful role, and they are drawn to that role without realizing it. So two things. One is, so angels are hanging out with your inner self, or that, that's how they know you. Like, oh, Joe, he's, I know Joe's inner self, inner Joe. Well, I might know outer Joe and have a very different picture of it, but also that that communication draws you toward a role. And we're going to be talking a lot about role as we move forward and what role role plays in our inner self, in our actualized self, to use a common current phrase. So just keep that in mind. Before we get to that, though, I'd like to just throw in something weird, which is something we like to do on this show whenever possible, and it's possible a lot when you're dealing with the world that Swedenborg encountered. This is from his book, True Christianity 14. All of us, and here, so here's, here's a little more about the, the nature of the inner self being unknown. All of us on earth are associated in spirit with those in the spiritual world who are like ourselves. We are, in a sense, united to them, and even though we don't always realize it, or ever. Quite often, in fact, I have been allowed to see the spirits of people who are still alive on earth. In some cases, the spirits of these people were in angelic communities, in some cases in hellish communities. I have even been allowed to spend days talking with the spirits of people. It has amazed me that the people themselves were still alive in their bodies, were completely unaware that this was happening. Uh, so he could, he could zoom around, talk to your inner self, and you wouldn't know that it was going on, which is actually, oh man, I don't remember who, who the guy was. Was it Monroe Who's, who could trigger out-of-body experiences? And he said that he could go talk, to, similar sort of phenomenon. Either way, it's not necessarily a piece you can incorporate right now, but it just gives a little breathing room that there may be more going on with us than we realize. And that's what we want to open up here in the beginning, because we got to create some space if we're going to get perhaps a new vision of what the inner self could be. Also, if we're talking about inner self, we're going to be talking a little bit about that old, the, the vegetable of the show, which is you got to do good. You got to not do bad. We got to work on loving rather than selfishness, because there's... Um, uh, George Ritchie, who wrote one of the first near-death experience books, he talked about a life review. Oh man, I hope it really is George Ritchie. I think it is. He talked about a life review that he had where he was going through his life, and as most life reviews are, it was focused on the good 
the the good he did for other people and his motivations in the moment that looking for acts of love that kind of thing and he was trying to think what's something good that i did while he's going through this and he thought oh i got my eagle scout when i you know when i finished boy scouts and that came up in the life review but really that was just like he thought he was cool he was like proud of himself like lording it over other people it wasn't really a highlight the little acts of love were much more a highlight so let's keep let's use this next quote to kind of keep that in mind this is true christianity 401 talking about how our inner self can be affected by the kinds of love that we choose here the inner self that is spiritual is actually an angel of heaven even while it is alive in our body it is in a community with angels although it does not realize that so we can be there you you can already be in heaven and not even realize it depending on how much love how much of the love stuff you want to do here after it is released from the body it comes to live among those angels the inner self among evil people however is a Satan. Whoa, what? Satan? <laughs> so you see this word's coming up a few times here. What is he saying? People are Satans. What are you Multiple Satans. Watch this episode. Watch this episode is the devil real that we did, where you'll learn about the terminology that he uses and why he uses those words. Essentially here, he's referring to people who are in a negative state of life, particularly in regard to false ideas. And he'll, he'll often divide up, oh, good people, evil people. We both, this is us both at different times in life as well. We all have uh, heaven and hell, as he says, connected to us. So don't just think, oh, I'm, I'm the good people, all those evil people are, oh, I'm the evil people. We, I'd say we participate in both, and the idea is to participate in good more and more. Okay, back to the quote. Even while it is living in our body, it is in a community with Satans. After it is released from the body, it comes to live among those Satans. In people who are spiritual, the inner parts of their mind are actually raised up towards heaven, because heaven is their predominant focus. In people who are merely earthly, however, the inner parts of their mind are turned away from heaven toward the world, because the world is their predominant focus. The Lord has provided and arranged that the more our thinking and willing come from heaven, the more our spiritual self opens and adapts. So, oh, let me, let me finish this one up. This opening is an opening to heaven, all the way to the Lord. And this adaptation is an adaptation to things that are in heaven. On the other hand, the more our thinking and willing come from the world, not heaven, and the world he's talking about, uh, basically ego kind of stuff. Not like a redwood forest that's really beautiful, but the outer levels, the, the outer sort of negative levels of the human mind. Not heaven, the more our inner spiritual self closes and our outer self opens and adapts. This opening is an opening to the world and its adaptation is an adaptation to the things that are in hell. People whose inner spiritual selves have opened to heaven and the Lord are in the light of heaven. They have enlightenment from the Lord and a resulting intelligence and wisdom. They see truth from the light of truth. They sense what is good from a love for what is good. People whose inner spiritual selves have closed, however, do not know what the inner self is. So, we can, you can kind of participate in a health regimen for your inner self. If we're talking about this inner self being this, this larger, more expansive part of us, the more that we look toward, essentially love, towards spiritual growth, towards being a nice person and gravitating towards what's good, the more that you're feeding the inner self and the more that you then be able to understand what's true and just sense what's right, that that's the perception we can head toward. Okay, so we got those two pieces of us. Now we we know what we're constructed of. Now we got to look at how do we get this identity? How do we really live our identity? What makes us who we are? What is our identity? 
We're going to discuss that now in part three. So if this section is going to work, we're going to have to have two concepts in our minds. Two concepts are as follows. One, love is our life. Two, the idea of the dominant love in each of us. Love is our life. Swedenborg begins one of his books saying love is our life. That actually, that's actually the substance of it. We sort of think of love as, oh, I love this thing. I don't love that thing. But that, but love in understood for what it really is, is the essence of life. And as, as for the dominant love, here's a quote from Heaven and Hell 447. There is a dominant love that remains with each of us after death. We all have many loves, but they all go back to our dominant love and form a single whole with it or compose it in the aggregate. So he's saying that there is something that we love above everything and that that defines who we are. That that if you were to look at what's the what you know what's the real substance of who this person is, take out all the extra stuff. It's what we love above all things. However, that's that's a little more complicated than I love model trains so much. So my dominant love is model trains, and we're going to get to that here. Let's hear from Howard Storm. This is another near-death experiencer. Uh, he wrote another of the early uh, books, worth a read if you haven't. And this is what he says he learned through his near-death experience. Our perspective on life is wrong. We think this life in the world is important. It is only important as preparation for our eternal life. The only importance of this life is a choice we make to love God or not. When we die, our souls leave this world and move into a different dimension or new reality. Everything we do in life is a result of the choice we have made. We are either moving toward God or away from God. There is nothing in between. So it's, it's like relatively harsh, but it's this polarity that he's describing. And you do see this reflected in Swedenborg. Um, He talks about how there are two overarching loves that make up goodness and badness. Goodness is love for the human race. He also calls it love to the Lord, which is the same thing. Uh, And the evil is love of dominion, or it could be called love of self, which is your own wants and desires take precedence over everything. So there are those two great loves, but within that, you'll see that our dominant love falls within one of those broad categories, but we're all unique because of the way we embody it. So what I want to stop and take a look at here is that external attributes, according to this, are not what make us who we are, how we sound, what kind of fashion we're into. It's what we care about. It's not how we look or come off. It's what do we love? What do we care about? That that is what makes us who we are. Let's look at it further in Heaven and Hell 486. All our pleasures stem from our dominant love. For the only things that feel pleasant to us are the ones that we love. So the most pleasant of all is what we love above all. Whether you say our dominant love or what we love above all, it amounts to the same thing. There are different pleasures, as many, generally speaking, as there are different dominant loves, which means as many as there are of us, and of spirits and angels. Since no one's dominant love is entirely like that of anyone else, this is why no one's face is exactly like that of anyone else, since the face is an image of the mind. 
and in the spiritual world is an image of the dominant love. The pleasures of any specific individual are infinitely varied as well, with no pleasure ever entirely like any other. This applies both to the pleasures that come in sequence and to the ones that occur simultaneously, in case you were wondering if it applied to both those groups. No two are ever alike. However, the specific pleasures of any given individual go back to that single love, which is that individual's dominant love. In fact, they constitute it and therefore become one with it in much the same way all pleasures overall go back to the one love that is universally dominant. In heaven, a love for the Lord, and in hell, a love for oneself. So, in that quote, you have why people either love or hate Swedenborg. Some people, oh, that's such great, he goes into such detail. Other people, why? What is that? He's just repeating stuff. I don't understand it. It essentially comes down to what I said just before, that there's these two great loves uh, love for the human race slash love for the Lord. He defines those as the same thing. And then love of, of control or of having things your own way, love of the self. Um, but he says that even within those two broad categories, if you are love for, for the human race as, as you're destined to become, nobody has the exact same love for it that you do. That the way you can love what is good is different than anybody. So through that we gain, he says, nobody's ever been like anybody else. Though we are, what we are is based on what we love, and we can all love in this uniquely us way. Okay, so we're starting to get more of a sense of what makes us who we are. It's not necessarily reputation or accomplishments, it's the way that we feel about life and the way that our intentions behind our actions. Nobody can have the exact same intentions. Also, let's think a little bit about our purpose, you know, what, or about the purpose of things, and that the, the identity is wrapped up in the purpose. This is from True Christianity 399, and this is clarifying a little bit. Our purpose is what we love above all else. We focus on it in each and everything we do. It exists in our will like a hidden current in a river that moves and carries things along, even when we are doing something else, because it is what motivates us. It is the factor that people look for and identify in others, then they use it to either influence the others or to cooperate with them. Our nature is completely shaped by the dominant force in our lives. That force is what differentiates us from other people. So there you have it. I mean, that that is sort of encapsulates what's the identity what is our purpose meaning and you don't always notice it if unless you reflect on it i'm here i'm acting certain ways i'm doing certain things why not why in the moment but why overall am i doing everything i do what is it to serve and the, the reason we're doing things is what makes us different and makes us who we are he says in there that it's like a current that carries us along in a river so here we're going to do a little correspondences exercise. So Swedenborg says you can actually get a better picture of these spiritual things through physical phenomena because these are these are you know representations of the spiritual things. So here we're going to show you a couple of clips of currents and rivers. And just think about that as like if we were a boat on top of these rivers, the current is is your purpose, what you really love, and it's moving you in its direction. So Here's a little bit of water.
And then generally, that current pulls, you know, there's these two great loves we're talking about, the love of the human race or the love of evil. And there's sort of two currents side by side. And if we can get ourselves into the current moving up, then we're in good shape. And part of that, part of being able to do that is to get agreement between your inner and outer self, as we were saying. This is from Secrets of Heaven, 1568. To learn what creates correspondences and agreement between your outer self and your inner, and what creates discord, simply consider what aims predominate. Or to put it another way, what type of love predominates? The different kinds of love we have are aims, since whatever we love is what we focus on as our aim. From this you will see what kind of life you presently have, and what kind of life you will have after death. The goals, or what is the saying, the type of love that predominate, are what shape our life. No one's life is ever anything else. If elements that clash with eternal life, in other words, with spiritual and heavenly life, which is eternal life, are not put aside during bodily life, they will have to be put aside in the other world. If they cannot be put aside, we cannot help being unhappy forever. So that sounds scary, but all it's saying is until you put this stuff away, you're not going to find happiness, which the stuff that clashes with spiritual elements is this stuff that blocks the inner self from coming in, which is exactly what you'd think it would be. Selfishness, um, longing for control, contempt for other people, uh, harming people for your own gain. You know them. You know what they are. That stuff breaks up because the inner self is this ocean of spiritual goodness. And if the outer self isn't receiving that, it breaks that up and it makes it so... The only place that true, lasting happiness can come from is this divine pathway through the inner self. If we block that off, we're not going to get anywhere. And notice all this stuff about what your purpose is defines it. So if you have this ideal self comes back, if I'm, if I'm sitting here imagining that guy as my ideal self, the problem is I'm imagining myself. What am I going to be like? What am I going to look like? It's totally self-focused. Instead, if I'm thinking about what's my ideal self, I should be thinking about what do I care about? What does my ideal self love? What does my ideal self want to do in the world? What, how does my ideal self treat people? You know, that, that, do you get it? The different, you're not thinking about external, uh, you know, external characteristics of the Curtis in this thing. You're thinking about how do you act? How do you be? What do you care about? You're not looking at yourself in a mirror, you're looking at the projects on your desk or the relationships that you care about. Is that, you know, does that make sense? To me, that's a very clear distinction. So this is fun, that if I was going to take this picture from the ideal self, it would be, you know, looking out at something I want to do something with rather than taking a selfie of myself. Not that selfies are evil, they're fine. Uh, Working together can actually be a way that we learn more about our, our inner self, and what this purpose is. Um, so let's take a look at spiritual experiences 483, because if you're wondering, okay, well, I'm, you know, what do I love? What is my, what do I want to contribute to? And Swedenborg talks about it here. When it has been made evident by various methods that spirits are in agreement, they join together and act at one, for they are brought together of their own accord. So it is that spirits find out who and what they are, and actually by a kind of instinct. I do not know all their methods of testing souls, for there are many. Those spirits who are similar are brought together, the rest dissociated. But even though a spirit may be of a kind to harmonize with other spirits, such as with evil spirits, nevertheless, 
by the mercy of God the Messiah, in his journal of spiritual experiences, he'll often refer to God as God the Messiah. These kinds are delivered from their company and inserted to a group of others, so that they may come into the company of the blessed. God the Messiah, as it were, unites them so that they may live together, thus by mercy of God the Messiah. See, I told you. They are transferred from one circle to another, and such as the circles are, such is their life. So there he is saying, because so I was going on and on before about, you know, it's, it's who you love, you know, it's, it's what you love, it's what you do. But you, what, well, I don't know what I'm like, I don't know what I love, I don't know what I do. There he's saying that actually we can discover this through working with other people. And, he, you know, he did it in, in a Swedenborg way, talking about spirits moving from community to community. But it's essentially, he was seeing how do these individual people jive with the people around them and that actually take them away from negative influences, get them towards positive influences, and this is how. So actually this concept of you finding out who you are in relation to the whole goes very deeply into the, what, what the true self is, and we're going to take a look at it here as we peer into the celestial ecosystem. So I'm pumped about this section because we get to talk about physical ecosystems, which I love talking about. And we're going to begin here, as as I said before, correspondences. That we can learn about these spiritual concepts through stuff we see in the physical world. So let's take a look at how this concept of you learn about who you are or who you are can be defined by how you fit into the whole from a biological, ecological perspective, and to do that, we don't got me, we got an actual ecologist. This is Dr. Sherry Cooper, who's been on our show before, and she's going to start by talking about some symbiosis that evolved very on, very early on in life in this planet. So here she is. Well, how life started as we know it is that the first cells were prokaryotes, and they are very simple cells. They don't have a nucleus. They don't have chromosomes. They don't have organelles. Prokaryotes develop this mutualistic relationship where they came together to work together. And one prokaryote would provide the energy, one prokaryote would provide the space, the house, so to speak. And as time went on, this developed more and more, and the prokaryotes that were engulfed became organelles of a more complex kind of cell that had a nucleus, that had chromosomes, that had mitochondria, chloroplast, Golgi bodies, you know, all the different parts of a cell that are can correspond to organs in a body. Organelles, man. That's part of why you show up on Monday. We get to talk about organelles. There you have some little simple creatures that found their true self in a mutualism. If, In case you didn't pick up what she was saying, originally there were these little less complicated cells. Uh, they figured out, hey, if we all work together, we can become this more complex cell. I don't know if they thought that in their little brains, but that's how it happened. So that if you think about true self, you can't think about it from an island perspective, just what am I in a vacuum? What's my true self? Those creatures, only through this partnership, uh, found that. Think about your favorite band. 
all right? Think about the people in that band. You know, some some really good band where it's like, oh man, that is that is what the, those people were meant to do in this world, right? Um, their their true self was part of this unit. That if we weren't part of that, it would be a whole different thing. Or think about companies that work really well together. That part of their you know the realization of those people or whatever is being part of this larger whole. All right, and we've been using this seed metaphor that we may be like a seed and our true self, our the you know what we're really the our real potential is like this plant that grows out. But plants are entirely shaped by what's around them, and we'll see how that's true in our second clip. Well, over time, uh, plants evolved, and plants are very complex. They're a higher organism. They have seeds that they disperse. They grow and develop and change over time. Seeds of plants come in all shapes and sizes, from tiny little seeds like at the end of a dandelion helicopter to a coconut, which is a big seed. And these seeds can be dispersed in a lot of different ways. Animals disperse seeds quite a bit, especially if the seeds are encased in a fruit. Deer are one example. They eat seeds and fruits. They love to come to our apple trees. So they spread the seeds through the feces. The seeds can live in their gut. And a lot of times these seeds can affect the animal when they become ripe and cause them to drop them when they're ready to grow. So I know that we're here talking about deer poop, but it's for a good reason. This is the reason. We're talking about a true inner self like it's a plant. And if you're trying to figure out what's my true, uh, you know, inner self, what what is what is my true self? What what can I really be? Oh, I'm a plant. Well, if I have a plant, wh- wh- I have this kind of flower. I'll, I'll make these kind of seeds. But why? It's not just so that I can look this way. All of the features of plants are, uh, you know, pretty much all of them have evolved because they're interacting with their environment. That you have plants making specific kind of flowers to attract pollinators. You know, it's not just because they want to look like that. It's because you're going to feed these pollinators that are going to spread uh, your seed on somewhere else. Or she was saying that deer will eat fruit. So if you're a plant making this fruit, you're making it because you know there's deer around. And even the seeds are made in a certain way that can affect deer to poop them out in the right spot. So the stuff you're making, you're not in a vacuum. Your true self is shaped by the other true selves that you're going to be interacting with. Does that make sense? If, as Swedenborg put it in Last Judgment, number 12, heaven becomes more perfect as more people enter it. This is because the way it is put together, the structuring that governs all its societal patterns and communications, is the most perfect of all. In the most perfect form, more members means a more complete focusing and agreement, therefore, a more intimate, wholehearted union. The agreement and union are strengthened by numbers because each new addition comes in as the ideal link between members already present. 
Each new addition strengthens the fabric and joins others more closely. Heaven's form is like the form of the human mind, whose perfection increases indefinitely with learning. The more good and true elements it gains, the greater is its intelligence and wisdom. So if we're thinking about what's, what's my true self, you probably never would think, oh, my true self is the ideal link between these other two parts of heaven. But, but all of what God is trying to do is to put us in heaven. And that that's, that's the, our true destiny. That's our destiny, which we'll talk about right now. If I want to say something that I want you to remember, we put it in a lower third. So it's all, our, our true self is enmeshed with where we're meant to go. It's like the process we found in the beginning. The seed's destiny is to get in the soil and bloom. You know, we, our, our growth, our blooming is this heaven that God wants to bring us into. True Christianity 612, Swedenborg says, we are born with inner levels of the mind that are spiritual. We are born for heaven. So that is, if you're thinking about who and what you should really become, you can't think of it apart from this structure of, oh, I'm going to be something that's part of this amazing greater whole. So you got to have that in your backpack you know, while you're trying to go on this journey of figuring out how to get where you need to go. Divine Providence 45 goes further. Since the goal of the Lord's divine providence is a heaven from the human race, it follows that the goal is the union of the human race with the Lord. It follows also that the goal is that we should be more closely united to him and therefore be granted a more inward heaven. It also follows that the goal is for us to become wiser and happier because of this union, and because we are given heaven through our wisdom and in proportion to it, and this is what gives us happiness. Lastly, it follows that the goal is for us to have a clearer sense of our identity and yet be more clearly aware that we belong to the Lord. And more on that soon. And all of these are part of the Lord's divine providence because all of them are heaven, which is the goal. So you can't know what your true self is without knowing the structure, the inner and outer self. You can't know what your true self is apart from this fact that you're going to be part of a larger whole and that you're going to be a piece that relates and the connections you make, the love that you allow to flow from one part to the other are part of who you are. You can't know who your true self is without knowing that we are what we love, that we are that connection. Um, we are these beings that can care about things and act to make things happen in a way that nobody else can. So you have to have all this stuff together. And to complicate it a little bit, we're going to talk about sort of a third part to our to ourself, not just this inner and outer self. Swedenborg describes it here in Secrets of Heaven 1595. Our inner self is actually is simply mutual love. Our actual spirit or soul is our intermediate self, which lives on after death. It is organic, since it is linked to our body while we live in the world. This intermediate self, this soul or spirit of ours, is not our inner self, but the inner self is present within it when mutual love is present. The qualities of the inner self are the Lord's, so that our inner self can be said to be the Lord. So, you have an inner self, but it's God in a way. Uh, there's also that, so we go back to our diagram, there's us, there's our inner self, all this, you know, the, but there's actually this God in it, the, the, the sort of the boundary between us and God, that's where things get a little more blurry. Not that my outer self is God, but that God can put life into us, and that there's this mutual connection there, where God is always shooting love, wisdom, life into us. So even your spirit that lives on after death is not necessarily your inner self. It's just the new 
outer self almost in a way that this inner self is this mutual love coming right out of heaven so take all that wrap it together and i would get out of it this uh for our identity instead of asking who do i want to be what do i want to be like how do i want to contribute that is where we're headed heaven is a place where there's contributions to the whole heavenly happiness is based on this uh, ability to make others happy. That that's what. And if we're trying to get a picture of what would I be like, just maybe be looking in yourself for what do I really love to do that's good, right? A, a little caveat that we pick up here is from learning about these levels of the structure. Of the person is don't judge other people. You probably already heard that because if if this is you know we found out this is our outer self. That's their outer self as well, you know? That's just their outer self uh, trying to work in the best way that they can. It's not the whole person. Secrets of Heaven 3489, angels pay attention only to people's inner depths or their goals, that is, to their intent and will and their resulting thoughts. In the next life, we think and speak only in accord with our inner values because we left outward appearances behind with our bodies. And don't we have a little problem with... uh, with, um, you know, judging a little bit too much uh, in this world. Uh, and you so you see their angels are interested in what's inner, and so is the Lord. Uh, so there you have a little mention of God. And there is a role that God plays in finding out who our true self is. And we're going to take a peek at that in our last section. So, we are to this section, You Make Me Me, and this is about how you often think about what's the ideal self, what's the inner self, this must be something that is an individual thing, that actually, even though it might seem counterintuitive, there is a, you get to be more yourself the closer you get to God. So let's explore how he explains that claim. This is from Divine Providence number 42. The more closely we are united to the Lord, the more clearly we seem to have our own identity, and yet the more obviously it, uh, it is to us that we belong to the Lord. It seems as though the more closely we are united to the Lord, the less sense of identity we would have. And it's what you'd think, right? I want to be myself, not just like God. This is indeed how it seems to all evil people and to people who believe on religious grounds that they are not subject to the yoke of the law and that none of us can do anything good on our own. So that's Swedenborg taking a little dig at the Christian church of his day. These two kinds of people cannot help seeing that if they are not allowed to think and intend what is evil, but only what is good, they have lost their identity. Since people who are united to the Lord are neither willing nor able to think and intend what is evil, the outward appearance leads others to believe that this amounts to a loss of identity. Yet, it is the exact opposite. So, how how can that be? That You do hear this idea in some... Um, uh, spiritual circles that when we die, we just kind of merge with God. But Swedenborg said it's not really like that. I mean, there's times you can experience ecstatic bliss and, and disappear into all of it. But overall, the more you approach God, even though you realize my life is coming from God, God is this source of everything, you feel more like yourself and you feel more independent than we feel now. 
than, than, than we've ever felt. That you actually, the closer you get, the more you feel like you are your own. And, he, and so how could this, but how could this growing closer to God, accepting more and more love and wisdom and thoughts and feelings from God, how could that actually be freedom as compared to what we have here? And Swedenborg gets into it in Secrets of Heaven 2890. The evil spirits who keep us company and through whom we communicate with hell think of us as nothing more than contemptible slaves. They pour their appetites and delusions into us and so lead us wherever they want. In contrast, the angels through whom we communicate with heaven consider us sisters and brothers. They instill in us a desire for what is good and true, and by this means lead us in freedom, not in the direction they want, but in a direction that pleases the Lord. This shows what each is like, and that it is slavery to be led by the devil, but freedom to be led by the Lord. So as Swedenborg is saying it, it's like this, that when we are with uh uh, our sort of outer self, ego kind of stuff. Um, we have a diagram of that that we're going to put up here. When hell is running the show, their heaven or hell are in the human mind. You know, the closer you get to God, the more you get to heaven. When hell is running the show, there are compulsions, cravings, obsessions, fears. These show up as what we would call the ego. That stuff, even though it seems like, hey, we're free and we're out and we're moving around, um, that stuff is running us, and we can't stop even if we want. Just think about when you're overwhelmed by negative thoughts and stuff, and people who are going along with that, you know, you can feel like, oh, this is great, I love what I do, but if you want it to stop, if it's causing harm in your life, you can't. And Swedenborg says, there's two forces that can be leading us, evil and good, and with good, with heaven, there's, there is a freedom, because we're actually going to let you choose for yourself. We're going to give you things that are actually helpful for you, and we actually love you. Whereas the hell that controls us, they think of us, as Swedenborg puts it, as a vile slave. Like, this is, you're nothing, you're no good, and we're just using you, and we don't care about the destructiveness this has on you. It can feel good at times, but this we're not leading you towards any kind of freedom, all right? So that's how he says it's actually more free. And he also says that you can get, the closer you get to God, the more of your own higher thoughts and feelings you can get. In Divine Love and Wisdom, number 33, all human feelings and thoughts arise from the divine love and from the divine love and wisdom that constitute the very essence that is God. The feelings arise from divine love and the thoughts from divine wisdom. Further, every single bit of our being is nothing but feeling and thought. These two are like the springs of everything that is alive in us. They are the source of all our life experience of delight and enchantment the delight from the prompting of our love and the enchantment from our consequent thought. Since we have been created to be recipients then, and since we are recipients to the extent that we love God and are wise because of our love for God, that is, to the extent to which we are moved by what comes from God, and think as a result of that feeling, it therefore follows that the divine essence, the creatress, is divine love and wisdom. So, it speaks for itself the more we get there, the more the good food of the soul comes out. Believe it or not, as Swedenborg says, that is more you. The, the, we all came from that source. That source has the plan for us. It has the spot for us in the divine design. And the more we get there, the more we are our true self. All right? So there's a few things from the conclusions we've had here. Uh, I would say the following. Don't worry if it feels like life is passing you by. I think sometimes in this try to find my true self, it comes, uh, people are coming out of a place of worry. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really like my job. I don't know if I really like who I am. Uh, am I really living 
my my ideal actualized life it's a long race and that actually here you might feel like oh i'm not a very good seed i'm not in a very good spot but really you never know what the events of your life are really really are you never know what's the dirt What's the water? What's the heat? What's the light? Our lives are shaped here. So even if you don't have the coolest job, live in the coolest place, have had the best romantic luck, have everything going for you, you still may be in just the right spot that your true self is going to come out. You don't have great talents or whatever. We're all these amazing plants that fit into the celestial ecosystem. And it's going to come. And just trust that there's this divine guidance. It's going to get you there because when your true self comes out, you know, and we see bits of it here, but it really comes out in the afterlife, as Swedenborg says. That is something all of heaven rejoices about, because everyone's like, that's so cool, you're here, you're the perfect link to make all of us more happy, and we can, we, and we are excited by that point, just that I can contribute to this thing, and I can contribute in a way that only I can do, and I can be valuable, and I can help people, and that is the essence of heaven. So there you go, there you have it. Okay, if you guys are having fun, please give this show a thumbs up. Uh, and also subscribe. Those not only will uh, enrich your life by giving you our videos when we put them out, they will also help our videos get seen more. And if you're really enjoying it, consider making a donation. Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit, and so we run off of donations. We appreciate them very much. If this programming is valuable, something you can't get anywhere else. Also, there's a foundation that gave us a grant, so your your donation will be matched five to one. So even a small donation, you think, oh, it's not worth it, is worth it. Thanks for your consideration. All right, we're going to get to your live questions and comments right after this break. So it's the part of the show where we get your input and figure out what other input we can give on that or output or something like that. Okay, I always love this part of the show. Let's see what we got. Question number one. Secrets of Heaven says that all good deeds come from God. Does that mean there is no free will? Oh, that's a good question because Swedenborg certainly does talk a lot about free will and how that's essential to human consciousness, but then he also talks about how all good comes from God. Um, Free will... It's a complicated subject. I don't fully understand it. We we have it on the docket to do a whole show about free will. The essence of free will is to choose between actions, good actions, evil actions. Um, that there's this constant inflow of divine love and wisdom urging us to go in different directions, do different good things. We can choose what we participate in, that that's part of it. It's not that God puppets us or that we're robots. And our free will is so potent that we can, you know, as it was talked about earlier in the show, we can actually shut out all this good stuff and live a miserable life and even inflict harm on other people um, because we have that space of free will, that if we don't want to do these good things, we don't do them. Um, you know, the, as we also saw, the inner self, there's God in there. There's this deep connection that is probably just as complex as the most complicated physical things are. So, what the nature of it is in the minutia there, I don't know. But it's certainly not just that God does good things to us when we want. We have to open up and participate. So th- those are my thoughts on it. Thanks, Robin. Next one. 
Yokopo. Why do I go long periods of time without committing a particular sin and then slipping into it? Is this profanation or is this just a failure that we are still allowing, allowed to walk from? So, yeah, Swedenborg has this definition of that word profanation that you're going, that, that what he calls that is going, being good and knowing what's true and right and then going against it. Uh, I, I personally don't think that a slip up is a problem like that. I think that it's more um, where there's, uh, you're living one whole kind of lifestyle and then you pick up the opposite one with knowledge that the other one was still good. Mistakes happen. Swedenborg even describes that angels go through like the seasons. They have winter slash night kind of times in life when they go actually get back into some of the problems they had before. So I think that's something that we just have. I, I've heard it described like a spiral that you're, oh, I dealt with this problem. And then you come around, oh, I'm dealing with it again. But you're moving up the whole time. So I'd say don't be too hard on yourself. Um, it is something that we're still allowed to work on. That's what I would think, that, that the profanation type thing is I'm changing everything I believe about what's good, and I'm going in a different direction. If you believe, oh, this was a mistake, then you still have the same mindset. So those are my thoughts on that. All right, let's take a look at another. Barb, a little off topic, but what do you think the correspondence might be for the blood moon we just had? was wondering about that when I was watching it last night. Man, I missed it. I think it was cloudy here. Hopefully it was cloudy or else I feel bad about missing it. So what I'd have to think, so the blood moon, I mean, it has to do with, I mean, the light on the moon obviously is coming from the sun. The moon in general is a symbol for faith in the mind or when... Um, you know, the two lights, the sun and the moon, that the sun is like when love is leading us, that you just know, oh, I want to do this because it's loving. But the moon is like, that love is not necessarily there, but you know, okay, this is the right thing to do. I've got to just do it. You know, I wonder if that blood moon has a little more light on it. So it's some kind of uh, like, this is, this is not quite as, I just know it's right. It's a sort of a combination of, I know it's the right thing and I'm doing it. It's all speculation, but feel free, to, you guys in the chat room, to make your own inferences about it. It's a good question, man. Um, and I do like thinking about what are the correspondences of things that Swedenborg didn't mention, because then you can just start to use the system independently of having the answers already. So great. Thanks, Barb. Let's take a look at the next one. Robin, since God made all things, why is there evil? Well, and this kind of goes back to the question earlier about free will. Uh, and this, of course, also should, this is like the primary question about religion. Um, what If there's God, it's called the problem of evil or theodicy. If there's God, God is good. How can there be anything evil? The, an- the short answer is evil is nothing. Swedenborg says evil is the absence of good. So just like, you know, if, if God is bright light and you you, we are the only things that can create darkness because because of that free will I was describing, you can shut the light out of a certain space. That would be like a little shadow. So it's the absence of that. That's one little answer. There's also, there's, well, then once there's already evil, other evil is sometimes used to try to mitigate that evil. Like if somebody has some kind of behavior problem where they're harming other people, that kind of thing, Sometimes it takes hitting bottom to understand that. But those are those are a couple of short answers, and we're going to do a whole, probably it should be a series on that. But those are my first initial thoughts on it. Okay, let's take a look at another one. John, I want to be a really, really, really good person because I lo- 
because I like love the feeling of making other people happy. Is it okay to want to be a celestial angel? So Swedenborg um, talks about different levels of angels, and what he's really talking about is different levels of our mind being open. We talked about with the inner and outer self how there are there's an opening of the outer self to the inner self. He says within the mind there are three levels and that the more each of those are opened, you come into these three different degrees of heaven. And when the third one is open, that's that's where God is trying to get everyone. That's when you're most open. And yeah, man, it's okay to want to do that. That's what you should want. And, you know, as a result of that, wanting other people to get there. You know, that is good to set that goal. Not if you're setting it like, oh yeah, man, I'm level three. What are you guys, level two? That's nothing. No, but to try to say I want to be as good as possible, particularly if it's because the more loving I am, making like as you say there, the feeling of making other people happy, then that's that's the reason. And yeah, you want to go, because the farther you go in that, the more you're going to be nice to me. So it's all good. So that is a great goal to have. All right, let's take a look at another one. Lisa, YouTube. If we're supposed to find our loves on earth, why do we have natural needs, food, etc., that keep us doing jobs that that don't have anything to do with our loves, just to get money so we don't die. That and a lot of people feel kind of feel the brunt of that. That you can't just all go and do exactly what you want. And I think the answer is relatively complicated. Um, here's a couple of thoughts that I have on it. Um, we don't necessarily have to be doing. And I was trying to communicate this at the end of that. We don't necessarily have to be doing our um, primary love to be progressing spiritually that you can have it's it's about learning to love what's good then that brings like in a job that has you working somewhere that you don't love there could be the potential for spiritual growth there that that could get us to understand and do know how to love people under stress even better than if you got to do your your dream job you know this is divine providence knows what are the soil conditions each of us need that really it's in the afterlife that you you fall into this perfect role here what we're trying to do is learn how to love and acquire acquire good qualities because that is what stays with us if you had your dream job but weren't developing as a person you know weren't becoming a better and better person you actually don't fare as well because what the real important thing here is doing what's right so perhaps that's part of why we get stuck up on these things because that actually can create the kind of soil that we need but it's also i would say a symptom of the, the society that we've all collectively designed here isn't perfect it's not one where all jobs are made as fun as others. We could improve that a lot on our end as well. All right, let's uh, let's do two more here, since we're getting to the end. Hank, yes, what do you think of the Islam and is believing in Allah the same to you as believing in God for a Christian? So, I think that it's an interior thing, meaning the there can be two people. One is Christian and talks about God. One is Muslim and talks about Allah, and they can be very similar interiorly. Uh, that they can have the same kind of love for the human race, the same kind of relationship with God, regardless of the name or the religion. You could also have two people within a religion, two Muslims, two Christians, that were very different from each other. 
because one is actually coming at it from love, the other is coming at it from some kind of superficial thing, or even from hatred. So no, I, Swedenborg was rev, re, relatively revolutionary in his day to for saying, um, hey, any religion can be a path to God. And certain religions are more suited to the character of other people. He says that's why there's actually this multiplicity of religions, because what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for the other, and the point is to get people into this love for the human race and opening to God. So either of those vehicles can do it. There are certain truths that can get you there faster, but if you're not using them from love, they can actually be a stumbling block. So those are the thoughts on that. All right, let's take a look at another one. Wolfsong. I thought Swedenborg said there is no devil per se. Does to follow the devil mean to follow our own dark impulses or to actually follow the lead of dark entities? One and the same. I mean, you're you're right. There is no de- there's no devil as in no overlord of hell as in no self-existent being who is pure evil. Like we were saying before that we can create evil by blocking out good and choosing it, but there's not like a there's not a guy who's like in opposition to God. So yes, following our own dark impulses. And I think Swedenborg would say that this is the same sort of thing, that our dark impulses, when you get to the bottom of it, come from hell. So there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's closer and farther relationships with that, that some people, right, are under siege by obviously negative external seeming forces and others. It just seems like their own thoughts and feelings. But in the end, it comes down to the same kind of thing, and both of those and, and, and them together, Swedenborg would consider being led by the devil. So, hopefully that made sense. If it didn't, it's too late, man. We're out of time for this show. Thanks, everybody, for your comments and questions. Always great hanging out with you. If you want to hang out again next week, we're going to be talking about the different kinds of angels. So if that interests you at all, what Swedenborg had to say about these different, we, were taught, we just mentioned it a little bit, different levels, but it goes into much more detail than that. So we're going to do that then. Thanks for hanging out. See you next Monday.